Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Leader of American terrorist training camp found insane. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. I know. <laughs> what did I say, right? Uh, leader of American terrorist training camp found insane. Now, first of all, the leader was a woman, but you didn't believe that, expect that. Um, and what am I talking about? Well, uh, the news, you know, why this is in the news again is because of a woman um, who was the leader of this pack of five uh, extremists, uh, Islamic extremists, radical Islamists, um, made a training camp in the desert of New Mexico. Do you remember this story? This occurred in August of 2018 that they, that they discovered the camp. Well, they, they knew about it before, but that they raided the camp. And um, so first let me tell you about why this is in the news now about this woman being found insane, mentally unfit to stand trial, exactly. Um, and so this is bringing back this whole case, which by the way, is going to be the people, all the people, well, the, the, the five members of this uh, team are going to be put on trial in April 2020, at least that's the plan now. And so in regard to this plan, that's how the judge decided um, that Janie LaVey, um, actually she's from Haiti, and um, the judge decided, you know, apparently there was evidence, she was, they were all in jail, and so apparently there was evidence that she was mentally ill. And um, the judge decided to hospitalize her so that she could be made competent to stand trial before the trial in April. Now, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and, and then I'll go back to revisit um, this whole New Mexico training camp discovery case um, and tell you more about that. And when, I'm when I remind you about the case, um, this, the reason why this case was so memorable, I'm, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure if you're listening to this, you remember this case, um, because, I mean, first of all, it involved a little boy, three-year-old boy who they murdered, but also uh, it brought out the fact that indeed there are such terrorist training camps on American soil, all over America, uh, an FBI or agent talked about this, about how this is just one of countless numbers. And I say countless because in fact, they only can count a certain number of them because these training camps are in areas are hidden or off the grid. And they're in places where um, they are the least likely to be found. And they are literally training um, people, mostly kids, but, um, or at least in this camp, it was 11 kids, and they are training them to perpetrate ultimately terror attacks. 
So the significance of this not only relates to this poor little murdered kid, which is a very, very sad story, but it also relates to the fact that we should kind of like wake up and realize um, that there are these places uh, all over America. There are these surreptitious, these hidden uh, camps that we kind of have to be on the lookout for. Now, um, actually, the FBI had been aware of this camp um, for some amount of time, but they didn't uh, go into it. They didn't, actually, it was months at least, but they didn't raid it. And it only became raided, and it wasn't by the FBI, it was by the local police in New Mexico, when um, there was this suspicion of the lost or, or kidnapped little boy being in the camp. So let me tell you about the woman. And as I'm talking to you about this, now realize she was the leader. And she was married, a polygamous marriage, to the man, the father of the little boy who was killed. So think about how um, this woman, who has now been found mentally unfit to stand trial, <laughs> was leading, you know, influencing, manipulating the father of the little boy and the other people um, who came with her to form this compound. And so basically they were following someone who was mentally ill to form this compound in the Mexican desert, New Mexican desert. So her name again was Janie or Janie, uh, from Haiti it would be French, Janie Levi. Um, I don't know how they, she would have, uh, perhaps the American, the American pronunciation would have been different. But anyhow, so Chief U.S. District Court Judge William Johnson in Albuquerque is the one who ordered her to be hospitalized uh, after he found her mentally unfit to stand trial. And um, this, there was a hearing uh, in October this month, and they, he found that she suffers from a mental disease or defect, those are the legal words, rendering her unable to understand the charges she faces, court proceedings related to her charges, and incapable in assisting in her defense. Those are the criteria for someone to be found um, mentally unfit to stand trial. So in other words, they have to be able to understand the charges that they're facing, the court proceedings, so they have to know who the judge is, who their attorney is, you know, what their functions are, um, witnesses, you know, they have to understand what a trial is all about. And um, also they have to be capable of assisting their attorney in their defense. So apparently Ms. LaVey um, was found not fit to uh, stand trial. She didn't meet uh, the criteria of understanding all of these things. Now she's an undocumented immigrant from Haiti She's going to be hospitalized for a maximum of four months. And then if the doctors think that she could eventually become competent to stand trial, they will continue to hospitalize her and treat her for an additional reasonable period of time. And she could also be made to take medication to help her become competent, medication to treat her mental illness to help her become competent. Um, you know, different states have different laws about that in regard to just how much treatment someone can receive um, in order to make them competent. You know, there's their defense attorneys, um, I mean, it's different in different cases in different states, 
but there's the question of, um, you know, does the person want to become competent to stand trial if they're going to be likely to be found guilty? Or some, some people do want to be found competent. Um, and then there's differences in how much treatment they can get. Now, um, this, as I was saying, the, uh, the child, um, she convinced the father of the child and the other people, but particularly the father, that um, the child was possessed by evil spirits and that they should take him away and uh, take, him off, take him off medication, take the child off medication and do this exorcism. And they gave him daily religious witch rituals like exorcisms. And during one of these rituals on Christmas Eve 2017, shortly after the group arrived at their compound, um, he died during one of these rituals. Really, really sad. And um, an electronic journal that she wrote said um, she saw herself as a religious prophet for the group. And she believed that the little boy would be resurrected to instruct them to instruct them on the government institutions they were to destroy. Now, if you so now, um, as I'll talk about, she took um, she convinced them, the man, you know, her husband, who was already married to a different woman, uh, to leave his wife. And in fact, what he did was he um, told his wife that he was taking their little boy to the park. And, um, and in fact, he never came back and he went with his second wife to, um, to New Mexico to, to make this terrorist training camp. Now, if you look at this from a purely psychological viewpoint, there's another way of looking at it that relates to custody and relates to jealousy. You know, this little boy was the only connection um, the only child that he had with his first wife and the only connection to his first wife. I mean, you don't have to be a psychiatrist <laughs> to realize that that might have been a second, uh, besides, you know, her, her uh, psychotic ideas, hallucinations, delusions and all that, you know, there's a reason that for everybody, there are reasons for having um, psychological, having delusions and hallucinations. I mean, they're not random. They come from your unconscious um, feelings and desires and thoughts. Anyhow, I will go into what her unconscious feelings and desires and thoughts might well have been and the um, kidnapping of this little child and the terrorist training camp when we come back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Jeannie Levey, the French pronunciation of her name, uh, since she comes from Haiti, uh, the woman who was the leader of the group of five who um, absconded to the um, New Mexico desert to create a terrorist training camp where they were teaching little kids, um, well, actually they were uh, they were um, well three to uh, to a teenager to teenagers um, how to become terrorists and how to uh, perpetrate school shootings and uh, killing shootings at government buildings and so on. And so let me finish telling you about her um, before I go back and remind you of the of the depth of the um, what of the tragedy of this camp and these people and what they did. 
Um, so she's, as I was saying, she has been found unfit to stand trial. The trial is going to be set now. There's always, uh, can always be delayed, but it's set now to be in April of 2020 for the five people who were involved in this fiasco. Um, and she was, um, this little boy belonged well, well, wait, before she, so this woman is facing kidnapping, firearms, and terrorism-related charges. And um, in terms of her mental illness, um, she told the group, I mean, she became the leader, which is, you know, she became the leader of the group, and she told the group that giving this little boy who had a seizure disorder and other kinds of medical problems medication was against the group's Muslim beliefs. And um, she said that she was a prophet and she and her husband, uh, polygamist, Siraj Wahaj, uh, were training these children for future attacks on, as I said, schools, law enforcement agencies, and other institutions. Now, when she was found unfit, just, just now, um, they didn't put a diagnosis down, but her symptoms certainly seemed like schizophrenia. Um, she was charged with possessing a firearm while living in the country illegally. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And the other suspects have been accused of conspiring to provide her with firearms and ammunition, amongst other charges. Now, she kept a journal, as I was saying, and in her journal, she talked about, um, the journal must have been a, a uh, petri dish of examples of her psychotic thinking. She described being able to interpret messages from God. And that's a typical schizophrenic uh, symptom, hearing messages from God. And um, she documented the death of this three-year-old little boy uh, who, who she had denied medication for his seizures. Now, um, a year ago when they, you know, this was first, this was, this camp was first uh, raided in August, 2018. So when they, when they, you know, recovered, saved, um, rescued the, the ch children in the camp, um, her two teenage sons talked about how she expected this little three-year-old boy, the son of the, of her husband's other first wife that currently still married, they were still married at the time that they, these, she was having apparently a long-term affair with him as well. He was married to his first wife for 15 years and she said she missed all the red flags of his having this other wife apparently and also the red flags most importantly of his planning to kidnap their little boy. Now this woman, um, the mother of the little boy, um, she hadn't been able to have children and when the little boy was born, it was like a miracle. And, um, and even though the little boy had various medical problems, she, to her, he was perfect and she loved him. And of course, this was, you know, this was um, an incredible tragedy. Um, so, so let's see. So the, her, two, her two teenage sons told the FBI how she expected this little boy to be resurrected as Jesus and provide instruction on how to get rid of institutions that involve teachers, law enforcement, and banks. 
And uh, these, her teenage boys had, you know, been amongst the other children who had all been trained in military tactics at a firing range on the property of their compound. Now, this whole thing of, um, you know, interpreting messages from God, the, the three-year-old child would become Jesus. These are all typical kinds of symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, although it makes me wonder, you know, there, it might be schizo, schiz, it might be, um, schizoaffective schizophrenia, which has uh, sort of a combination between manic depressive illness and schizophrenia, because some of these things can be, um, you know, are, are somewhat manic. Um, but anyhow, I was mentioning before about whether it's people with schizophrenia or people with um, manic depressive illness, anybody who has, those are the two major psychoses, anybody who has hallucinations and or delusions, they are not random. They relate to um, feelings that the person is actually having and thoughts that they're having. And as an example, I'll tell you about this schizophrenic woman who um, was having her first signs of schizophrenia were that she started hearing a voice and the voice was of a young man and um, who she sort of related it to maybe this man at work um, who she had a crush on and um, and and she had just broken up with her boyfriend she and her boyfriend had just broken up and so she was lonely and she ad admitted when I was talking to her about this that yes indeed um, had this voice was uh, filling her loneliness for a man, for a boyfriend. So as I was originally saying, um, the woman leader of the group who's now been found mentally unfit to stand trial clearly would have wanted, perhaps unconsciously, uh, perhaps consciously, would have wanted to get rid of this little boy because um, he was, as I said, the only connection with uh, her husband's first marriage, um, you know, again, they were still married when he absconded with the boy. Um, and so getting rid of, of the little boy would be a way to, for, to make sure that he would sever ties or hope that he would sever ties with his first wife. And particularly if she got him and the others to go to the desert in New Mexico. So she wanted to get rid of the little boy and she and her husband would now um, have their own new life. Very, very sad. So going back to talking um, about the original, this original story, which started in August 2018, um, to remind you of this, this was a story um, of uh, the, the man, the father, um, I mean, well the, well, the story came about because the mother of the little boy, when the father took the little boy and said he was going to the park and, um, and then disappeared, she couldn't reach him, um, she alerted authorities and they started a hunt for the little boy. And um, that, but, but they weren't finding him. Um, and eventually they found that these five people who, these five adults, um, 
living with these 11 children. Uh, the adults were Siraj Wahaj, uh, 40, he's the father, a little boy, Lucas Morton, 40, who is one of a husband of one of the other p women, um, Janie LaVey, as I was the one who was just found incompetent to stand trial, um, Hujra Wahaj is um, 38, and Subhana Wahaj, those two are sisters, and their brother is Siraj Wahaj, and their father is an imam in Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if this was a movie, it, it, would seem, it would seem like too contrived, right? Um, but anyhow, and this imam has a very questionable past. And when we come back, I will tell you more about him and, and this original story, this original discovery of the camp. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where I am now going to revisit the story of the terrorist training camp that was found in the desert of New Mexico. Um, it started with the boy's mother, um, the three-year-old boy's mother who lives in Georgia. She last saw him in Georgia, in Georgia. <laughs> she last saw him in November when that's when his father said he was gonna take him to the park and then absconded with him. So that was November. Then she filed for divorce in December. And then an arrest warrant for him was not issued until January. Now the boy's name is Abdul Ghani. And um, interestingly, this was an interesting twist to the story. So, that, so the mother was having all this trouble finding her husband and finding her son. And then two weeks after uh, the father absconded with Abdul Ghani. He had a car accident. He flipped a Ford Explorer on Interstate 65 in Alabama. And um, they, the police, you know, did a report on him. And, and um, there was a five-year-old boy in the car and Jani LaVey, <laughs> she comes into the story again, they were taken to a hospital, but apparently she got well enough to continue on to New Mexico, where they founded this terrorist training camp. There were six other children in the car, ranging in age from three to 15. So presumably one of them was Abdul Ghani. Now, um, when they ultimately raided the, uh, the camp, they found, as I said, 11 children, and nine of these 11 children were the children of Siraj Wahaj and his wife, um, Jani, Jenny uh, LaVey. And now, so <laughs> those two, um, Siraj Jr. and his new wife, um, Jani, was, were apparently very busy having nine children um, while he was still married to his first wife, who had, didn't have a clue. Um, so, so, but they still, you know, they, that still, they, obviously they didn't stop um, them from continuing on to New Mexico and building the compound. Um, now, the Imam Sr., Siraj Wahaj, Siraj Wahaj Sr., the Brooklyn Imam, is saying that he's the one who led the um, police to the compound because he said that uh, he, a plea came through Facebook uh, that said, we need food, we're starving. And his daughter had sent the message to a man in Atlanta 
who passed it on to him. And so then the senior, the imam said, what do I do? Find out where to send the food. You know, that was his brilliant move. And so when he found out where to send the food, that's how he was able to share the location with the police. And that's how they were able to raid the compound. Uh, nine of these children were the imam's biological grandchildren, presumably those from the, uh, his son and the, his son's second wife. Um, but when the police raided, you, I'm sure you might you remember this, when the police raided the compound, they did not find the three-year-old boy because he was buried. He was already buried. Um, the imam said that he hadn't spoken to his son since late 2017, and he hadn't heard from his two daughters who were with the son and, and in months. And um, these, he said these three kids of his cut families with the rest of, um, had cut ties with the rest of the family. And he was finding this whole thing strange. And, but the thing is that he has a rather, um, a rather uh, checkered past. Um, the father does because um, he, yes, he, uh, he, first of all, he was born uh, Jeffrey Curse, um, not Siraj Rahaj, Wahaj, um, and he was found to be an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So he has quite a checkered past himself, like father, like son, I guess one could say. Um, and then, let me see, what else? The story is, I mean, the story is just really fascinating. There probably will be a movie of it. It's too, it's too uh, dramatic to not have a movie. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, yes. The imam, when the, when the Taos uh, County Sheriff apparently said that his son's religious beliefs were extreme, you know, extremist Muslim beliefs, extremist radical beliefs, and so on. He said he didn't, he didn't like that. The father, the imam, didn't like that. He said his son's behavior could be extreme, and he described him as high-strung, the kind of person who might become angry or who became angry when uh, stopped at the airport by immigration officers. So one kind of, that's a little bit of an interesting clue. And one kind of wonders whether he is suffering from some kind of mental illness as well, or was at the very least um, vulnerable to what his second wife wanted to do. You know, he was, he was seduced by her in the first place um, to have an affair with her or marry her actually in the Muslim tradition or, or what is it they say, an inter a, certain, a certain interpretation of um, Islam where it allows polygamy. Um, so what happened was, um, I mean, you know, you probably have seen pictures of what the compound looked like. It was all encircled with tires, you know, as a barrier, like a fort. And it was, it was squalid um, third world conditions. They were living in total squalor, squalor. Apparently they didn't have very much food. I mean, it was hard to get food because that meant they would have to go out into society, which meant that um, 
they can be traced back to their compound, which is apparently, which may be how, it's not clear really how the FBI had them in their sites, but, and why the FBI didn't, didn't um, raid, it had to be the local police. Um, so now when they, when they first came to court, we're talking uh, in August 2018, when they were first arrested, when, they, when the raid happened and they were arrested and they were put in jail, um, the, a judge um, dismissed some of the charges against three, well, uh, diff two different judges dismissed charges against all five of the adults um, because the state the um, prosecution, the state, violated the state's 10-day rule. There's apparently in New Mexico a 10-day limit for an evidentiary hearing to establish probable cause. And it is, it is beyond my comprehension um, that, that in such an important case like this, the prosecutors couldn't get it together in 10 days to establish probable cause. And these hearings were dismissed. Um, However, uh, there were charges levied against them, um, against Siraj Wahaj and Janie LeVay for uh, the death of the little boy, the three-year-old boy. And um, the children, the 11 children that they found were taken into custody of state child welfare workers and then three days when they originally, as I said, when they originally invaded the compound, the little three-year-old boy wasn't found because he was already buried. But then when they, you know, continued searching, they went back three days later and then they found the child's remains. And it turned out that one of the other children had told the authorities that this little child was killed and buried, or however they put it, died and buried. Not sure just how much they threw. <laughs> um, the parents under the, well, the the father actually and the, and Jenny under the bus, but they let the authorities know that there was another child and he was buried. They presumably probably told them where he was buried because it was a pretty big compound to dig up. Um, so that is that is the story. That is the current status of the story. Um, and then they were also, they were charged, the, um, the father and LeVay were charged with abuse of a child, resulting in the death of a child, and conspiracy to commit abuse of a child. Now, the others are charged apparently with something still. I think it's, um, the trial is going to be of all five of them. Uh, they presumably found more things to charge them with, but it, you know, it could have been, this story could have been even more tragic if um, the all five or let go. So what does this tell you? I mean, first of all, it tells you to, uh, I mean, it, it just shows you sort of the power that this one woman had to um, convince four other people um, to go along with what she was saying, which yes, you know, does kind of put into question the mental stability of these four other people. Um, maybe the sisters were, you know, maybe, she, I mean, what, what probably happened is that she was able to manipulate their, her husband, um, who then was able to manipulate 
on her behalf, his two sisters and um, the husband of one of them to flee to New Mexico. I mean, granted, this was not, <laughs> I, I doubt this was like a new idea to set up a terrorist training camp. I mean, it wasn't, it what probably wasn't, um, they may not have wanted to kill the little boy. The other, the other three people may not have wanted to kill the little boy, but the idea of um, having extremist beliefs and setting up a terrorist tra training camp was not something new that this woman just uh, instilled in them. I mean, they were obviously very interested in that concept, doing that themselves, whether she it was, you know, she mentioned it first or whoever mentioned it. I mean, the father, the father, um, uh, you know, the imam obviously was an influence as well. So um, all of these influences resulted in this compound. And again, I'll leave you with the thought, how many compounds are there all over America similar to this. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.